Good morning. Again, good to see you. Those of you I haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Rick Piccarell. I'm the senior pastor here at Mount Hope. Glad you're here with us in worship this morning. We are continuing in our reset series at the beginning of 2014. Every time at the beginning of the year, we like to have a series just to reset some of our priorities when it comes to following Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the priority of prayer. Last week, we talked about the priority of Scripture and Bible reading. And this week, I want to talk about that fun topic of money. Everyone loves coming to church and hearing about money. Uh, but uh, we're gonna, we talk about that as often as the Bible brings it up, because we preach through the Bible here at Mount Hope. But we also talk about it as a part of this series every year, because it's an important part of your world. It's an important part of my world. And it's also the thing the Bible says is one of the few things, one of the one main things that competes with our desire for God is our desire for stuff. So we're going to talk about that. In, uh, as we get into that, let me just uh, tell you a story I came across this week. In 2009, I hadn't heard about this. Maybe you had, those of you that are more into the sports world and ESPN than I am, but I hadn't heard about this. In 2009, there was a little leaguer named Martin Gonzalez. Uh, Martin was playing uh, Little League. He was 12 years old. He slid into second base while he was playing Little League. And when he slid into second base, he broke his leg. And I mean, sometimes those things happen. You, you play sports. If you play sports, you have kids that play sports. Those things can, those things can happen. Uh, so most of the time, you go to the doctor. You get it healed up. You sit out for a little while, and, and then you get back at it. Uh, Jean Gonzalez, Martin's mom, had a different idea. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but what Jean did after Martin broke his leg is filed a lawsuit. She sued uh, Martin's baseball coach. She sued the first base uh, coach who sent Martin to second. She sued Little League uh, for it. I, they were using Little League approved breakaway bases and everything. And, and, uh, and he had been coached on how to slid, slide right, but accidents still happen. He broke his leg. And she went and filed a lawsuit against all these different people. And you're thinking, frivolous lawsuit, right? As soon as it hits the courts, it's going to get thrown out. I mean, come on, you sign up, you play sports. Sometimes people get hurt. We understand that. Not so. Gene Gonzalez settled for $125,000 from Martin's accident, and G, uh, Martin's lawyer, or Gene's lawyer, said that as soon as that case settled, he got all kinds of phone calls from all these parents that wanted him to represent them in these sports injury lawsuits. And you hear, I don't know if you're like me, but I hear that, and I'm going, seriously? Is that what, I mean, is that, it's kind of like Pastor Brian was talking about, you know, you can't climb the rope, you're going to fall, you're going to get hurt, and someone's going to sue us. And that's kind of the world we live in. And why is that the case? Well, we all know why it's the case. Because it's about the money. It's about the fact of, can someone be able to get money out of this? The same thing a few years ago when someone sued McDonald's for serving hot coffee without putting on a cup that it was hot. Um, and they walked away with a few million dollars because they got burned by the hot coffee. Um, and, and why is it happened? Because money is this motivation for people and for actions that cause people to do things that they might not otherwise do. I mean, suing a first base coach or a, or a coach of a little league baseball team was probably a you know, volunteer dad or mom who's out there just coaching and, and you know, in their spare time, and it probably wouldn't cause us to sue, you know, cross our minds normally to sue one of our neighbors. But if you can get money, 
if you can get money out of it, we end up doing things we might not normally do. And this morning I want to talk about money and I want to talk about uh, one particular verse that's probably the most famous verse in all of scripture when it comes to money. In fact, if you are in church for the first time today and you're not normally attending church, if I were to ask you, give me one verse from the Bible about money, you may not have been to church for a long time, but if you came up with one, my guess would be this would probably be the verse that you would come up with in some form or another. And it says this from 1 Timothy chapter 6, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The first question, I guess, when we come to that verse is, is it true? Is it true? Does the love of, is the love of money really the root of all kinds of evil? I think we probably don't have to argue about it too much. I think you don't have to look very far. We really don't have to look probably beyond our prison cells in our country to look at what the love of money can sometimes do to a person. The love of money can do to a person, whether they're poor or rich, right? There are rich people in prison because of their love of money. There are people who grew up poor in prison because of what they have done because of their love of money. The love of money causes us to do things in our world that we might not normally do. Drug dealers are selling drugs not because they get their kicks out of getting kids hooked on cocaine, but because they get money out of it, right? I mean, some of the things that persist in our society have no other root than the love of money. Some of the things that prostitution and things that go on in our society. Why does it exist? Because of the love of money. Because someone can make money off it. Someone can make a dollar off it. And so these things exist in our world and they bring about things in our world because of the love of money. And it's no surprise. So God says in his word that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we want to take a look at that. And it's important for us to talk about these things in church. Some people may say, why is the church talking about money? You should be talking about God's stuff. And I would submit that money is God's stuff. Money is God's stuff. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, says, you you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other, and you can't serve both God and money. You can't do it. You you, you have to... What Jesus was saying is the one thing in this world that may compete for your heart more than any other is stuff. The one thing that may compete with God more than any other in this world for your heart is the stuff of this world. That stuff may take the form of literal stuff or it may take the form of security. It may take the form of safety. Let me ask you this. What's your biggest fear? What is the biggest fear in your life? Because I think what happens many times and the reason money becomes such a, uh, such a competition for our heart is because money can sometimes become a functional savior for us. What I mean is it can functionally save us from things we really fear. If your biggest fear is being in bad health, well, your money can buy you some good doctors, pay for some medication, 
vitamins, exercise, a personal trainer, a membership to the gym, some gym equipment in your house. Money can help you have good health. If your biggest fear is growing old and having no one to take care of you, well, you can put some money aside and you can pay someone to take care of you when you grow old. And if you set enough money aside, you can pay people to take care of you. If you set enough money aside, you won't have to pay people because people will just gather around you because they want to be around you when you're rich and about to die. So you won't have to. Money can, you know, you, you set aside enough money, you can do that. If, if your biggest fear is your kids not growing up and getting a good education, money will... Pay for a good education. If your biggest fear is living in a place that's not safe, money can help you live in a place that's a safer neighborhood or a safer house. So what can happen is money can become our functional savior for a lot of areas in our lives. And so that's why it competes for our hearts. That's why it competes for our hearts. Because there's many things that we can live our lives in fear of and we look at and we say, well, money can fix that. But if our biggest fear is how are we going to handle eternity? Who's going to take care of the, the guilt of our, that our sin brings upon? How, who's going to, what's going to take care of our sins? Well, then we find that money falls far short. But the truth is, often, that's not our biggest fear. Often our biggest fear is something that money can fix, and so we sometimes live with money as our functional savior. And so God says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but not just that. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it's a warning, not just in general, that look, if you love money, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, you could end up doing all kinds of evil, but it's a warning specifically to the church. You can be there worshiping, you can sing the songs we just sang, and you can dedicate your children, and you can read the Bible, and you can pray, and you can do all these things, but if you become a lover of money, there's a danger that you're going to wander away from God. There's a danger you'll wander away from the faith. That's what Paul's saying. Paul says, that's happened to some. They came in. They, they were great. They loved God. They, they were excited about it. But somewhere along the line, their love of money took them in another direction. So I want to give you this morning just two quick points on how not to become a lover of money. Two quick points on how, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, how to make sure you are not a lover of money. Now, I know even as I say that, you don't think you are a lover of money. That's okay. That's okay. Even as I say that, you, I, I, there's no one in here that you're going to stand up and say, I love money. You can probably give me a list of names of other people who do because it's always someone else. There's always someone else in our life that we can say, yeah, they are too consumed with possessions and positions and materialism, but it's never us. And we're never the, the rich that are in danger because the rich are always just about one level above wherever we are. And so it's never about us. It's never about our money. It's never about, it's, it's not about, but if this is this dangerous, if the love of money can cause us to do all kinds of evil and can draw us away from Christ, if this is this dangerous, I just want to ask you this morning, just to, just to set aside the fact that I know you don't believe you're a lover of money, I know that I hope you're not, but if this is this dangerous, let's just set aside a few minutes and just take a look at our own hearts and say, God, could this be true about me? Could I have become too consumed with the things of this world? Because I feel like money is one of those things that it's like a fish in water. The fish doesn't know they're swimming around in water, right? It's just the world that they live in. 
We live in the United States of America in the 21st century. That's one of the wealthiest nations that's ever existed on the face of the planet. And we get used to living that way. And we get used to the things we have. And we think it's always been this way for everybody and, it should be, and it's always going to be this way. And we don't realize the blessings God has given to us. And so we at least just need to take a moment to just say, God, when it comes to me and money and, and you, has anything creeped into my heart that has taken me down the path to be a lover of money? So two points, how to keep yourself from being a lover of money this morning. And this is the first one. The first one is this, don't choose what you do out of a desire to be rich. The first point is this, if you want to keep from being a lover of money, don't choose what you do for a profession, for an occupation, to earn money, whatever you do, out of a desire to be rich. However you choose your occupation, your vocation, how you get paid, where you get an income from, if you're, if you're in the workplace, don't choose it out of a desire to be rich. Because the desire to be rich is the definition of the love of money. And maybe you don't agree with that statement. Think about that for a second. The love of money, if I were to define it, if I were to just define it, here's the definition of the love of money. The love of money is the desire to be rich. That statement kind of grates against us sometimes in the United States. Wait a second. We deserve to be rich. We can be rich. We've all been told we grow up, we work hard. If we're rich, that's great. We'd all want to be rich. What do you mean to desire to be rich? is the, Are you telling me to be rich is wrong? Are you telling me wealth is wrong? Are you telling me there's some holiness in poverty that, that you know... What do, you, what do you mean the desire to be rich is the love of money? Well, I just, let me just back up one verse. Let me back up one verse. This is the verse before. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. People that desire to get rich, people that wish to get rich, people that make it their intent to get rich, people that their, their end goal is to get rich, people that make it their, their, their goal in life to be rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So I would define the love of money as the desire to be rich. Now what this verse isn't saying is that wealth is bad. What this verse isn't saying is that riches, being rich in this world, is wrong. What this verse isn't saying is that if a person becomes wealthy, there's a, there's a, there's a wrongness or a sinfulness. It doesn't say that. But hear my definition. The desire to be rich, the end goal of my life being rich, me choosing what I do based on the sole goal of becoming rich becomes the love of money. Becomes the love of money. When I desire, when my, when my decisions are based on will this get me rich or not, then my heart has fallen into a place that I've become a lover of money. Let me explain it to you. Let me put it to you this way. 
uh, when you're choosing what to do with your life. And some of you are, are young, uh, maybe you're still in college, maybe you're just out of college, some of you are just trying to decide, or maybe you're looking at a new career, or maybe you're in between jobs, or maybe you're thinking, I'd like to do something else. When you're deciding what to do in your life for a vocation or to get paid or a job, the decision of many of the people around us might be what's going to pay the most. What's going to get me rich? What's going to get me more money? I think every person in this room has a gift or a skill, a craft. Let me just put it as an art that God has given you. Whatever that, you have something to give back to the world that God has put you in. And for many of you, you'll work a job in that skill or craft or gift or art, giving that back, and someone will pay you for it. You have a choice. I have a choice of whether to do that or not, whether to give our gift away, whether to give our art away, whether to be artists and give that away to the world around us. But what you don't have a choice of is how much someone's willing to pay for it. Maybe your art is to be a medical doctor. In our day and age, with a preoccupation on our health, with almost an, an idolatry of worship of health, with, with a desire to control life and death, with a fear of death, and, and, and with everything that we live in. If, you, if your art is medical doctor, our society is going to pay you very well for that because that is something that's valued. But if your art and your gift is to be a social worker down in an inner city someplace, helping people, uh, you know, provide food, helping people connect and get jobs, helping people uh, work their way out of poverty, helping people find a place to live. You, could, you need to do your art, but our society and our world, for some reason, doesn't pay as much for that as if you're a doctor. Now, you may say that's unfair, that's not right. It may be, but it's the reality. And if we all make our decisions based on the fact of we want to get rich, then we will not all do our art and our gift and give our skill to the world that God has called us to. It may be that your art or your gift is to be an inner city school teacher or that your gift that God has given you is to be a salesperson. And, 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 and it may, those things may pay well, they may pay not, they may not, but the point is, what has God called you to do and what do you make that decision based on? Do I make the decision based on will it make me rich? Because if you make that decision based on will it make me rich, we're in danger of being lovers of money. I mean, you think about it. If your skill is to be the person who can dunk a basketball better than anyone else on the planet... Our world, for some reason, pays millions of dollars for that. But think about a hundred years ago. If LeBron James like, lived a hundred years ago and said, Look what I can do. I can jump up and dunk this ball through this cylinder that's ten feet high. People are like, so? Can, can you shovel coal? Because that's what we're paying for. I mean, it's, it, it depends on... You have, we don't have control on what the world around us is going to value as our skills. But we do have control on will we use our gift that God has given us to be a blessing to the world around us. So if you want to keep from being a lover of money, then don't make the decision on what you do about will it make 
me rich. Because the desire to be rich is what becomes the definition of a lover of money. And so that's the, that's the first point, to be careful. Because if we make all of our decisions on that, we will become lovers of money and not of God. Um, and that will compete with it. So the second thing, to keep us from uh, becoming lovers of money, the second point is this. Recognize that all money is from God to provide for your needs and be a blessing to others. Recognize that all money, all provision is from God to provide for your needs and to be a blessing to others. Just a couple verses down from here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says this. Command those who are rich, and let me just put all of us in this room in that category, okay? Let's just, let's just put us in there. Because I'm assuming um, you, you probably all ate something this morning. You're probably going to eat before the day's over. You're probably going to go home and have a roof over your head. You're probably... Um, uh, going to have your basic necessities provided for you. You're probably not living on $2 a day like a good part of the world is. So let's put most of us, let's put us in that rich category in the United States. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So recognize that everything's from God. Command them to put their hope in God who provides for everything. It is for our enjoyment. God gives it. We enjoy it. It's for our blessing. It certainly provides for our needs. But then he says, command them to put their hope in God, to be rich in good deeds, and to give generously. And to me, those are the three things that become become a measure, right? Command them to put their hope in God. This can be a challenge for the rich. And again, let's put us all in that category for a second. Putting our hope in God can be a challenge for the rich. I think that's why sometimes it's so hard for people in the United States to respond to the call to come and follow Jesus and to love God. Because their hope is in something else. Many of their needs have already been provided for. I don't have to pray for my next meal. Cupboards are full and Grocery stores still got food. And I don't have to pray for shelter. The house is there. I don't have to pray for, uh, you know, for these things that much of the other world has to depend on God for. So we find ourselves rich. And God says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus says, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible because the rich man wants to depend on himself. But Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. Yes, even you and me who are rich can get into heaven because of Jesus' grace and love. But it's about this idea of putting your hope in Christ. So how do you do that if you're rich? Let me encourage you to do it this way. Do things for God that are commensurate with your place in life. All right? Do things for God 
that are commensurate, that are equal to, that are, that are in proportion to your place in life. If God has given you much and, and get, blessed you greatly, then attempt to do something great for God. Then attempt to do something big for God. Andrew Carnegie didn't build little houses. He built cathedrals and libraries and, and Carnegie Hall because he had much resources. I'm sure he could have done much more, but he did things in proportion to what he had. And in the church, sometimes we look at and we say, well, I'm going to do this little thing over here. Yet God has given you maybe the ability to do a great work for him, to be a great blessing. And don't be satisfied. Do things, if we're going to put our hope in God, step out in a way that will force you to put your hope in God. God may be asking you to do something big. Let me, let me try and um, put it this way. Maybe we can see it if I put it on a macro level, like for churches. There are some churches that may be really big churches. Say in our area, Grace Chapels in Lexington's a, a big church. And, and I love that Grace Chapel, the things they do for our region, and they're able to do, and God asks them to do. Uh, Brian Wilkerson there, uh, the things that, you know, I'll get his emails every once in a while saying, you know, we're doing this. And if you'd like to partner with us and all, all these things. And I love that God has called them to do some big things for our area. And they need to do that. Mount Hope may not do the, all the things that Grace Chapel's going to do. But there are things Mount Hope's going to be called to do that God won't ask a church of a smaller size to do. We built that Family Life Center out there because God says, you know, we, I want you to do this. And it's, able, it's starting to build bridges into our community and build bridges to people who don't know Christ. And God said, but he's not going to ask another church that may be much, much smaller to do something like that. God asks you to do things commensurate to your station in life. So if God has given you much, then look for big things to do for God. Don't look for small things. Because God has provided for your needs and then blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. That's what it's for. You look through the scriptures. People are blessed to be a blessing. It starts with Abraham. Abraham, God said, I'm going to bless you and you are going to bless the world. Everything above and beyond our needs is grace and a blessing and able to be a blessing to others. So command them to do good, be rich in good deeds. How's your good deed account? How you doing on that? Be rich in good, don't just be rich in money. Don't make it your goal to be rich in this world, but how you doing being rich in good deeds, being sacrificial, loving the people around you, doing something um, and serving the people around us. And command them to be generous and willing to share. I think that last one's the real test. Willing to share. Closed hands or open hands when we hold these things for God? Has God blessed us to be a blessing or to accumulate for ourselves? And you and your family have to answer this question. How much is enough? You have to, if you haven't asked, if you and your family haven't asked that question, you have to ask that question. How much is enough? What's a big enough house? What's a nice enough car? What's enough? So that we can say, what's enough savings? What's enough insurance? 
What's, what's enough? So that we can say, that's enough. We need to be willing to share and give to others. And I don't care where your income level is. You always have to make that question. You always have to, you always have to wrestle with that. What's enough? The problem is enough is usually a little bit beyond where we are right now. Right? Enough is usually, if I could just have a little bit more than where I am right now, that would be enough. And it's a moving target. And we never hit it. And so it's never enough. And so we live in a world that never fully satisfies. And we never feel like we can actually give. We never feel like we can do something great because I just need a little more. And then I'll have enough. But being willing to share generous. That's the test. Because we can always come up with a reason to have more for ourselves. The car might break, so I need to have a little in savings. That's true. The house might, there might be a big problem with the house. I've got to have something in savings for that. That's true. I might have a major health thing. I've got to have something in savings for that. Could happen. Something in my family might go wrong. I should have something set aside for that. Could happen i got to retire, and I don't know what the value of a dollar will be then, so i got to keep setting aside more money for retirement. That's true. We don't know. But what's enough? But what's enough? When is it practicality and wisdom? And when is it greed and selfishness? I'm not saying you're there. I'm just saying we all have to figure where that line is. We all have to figure where that line is. We all have to say, God, where are you calling me to be willing to share with others? Where are you calling me to be generous? Because if we become lovers of money, God says all kinds of evil come from that. And you'll be tempted to wander away from the faith. I respect this. A lot of people I respect in ministry, as few I probably respect more than... Uh, Dr. Billy Graham, uh, men like Jim Cimbala, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And a couple things about, one thing about Billy Graham and Jim Cimbala, one thing in particular you may not know is Billy Graham, you see all the books he writes, right? I mean, he, you know, he's he, he been writing books his whole life and still they're putting out Billy Graham books, right? And you see these things, you think, Billy Graham must make a fortune just from the books, Right? I mean, I mean, this guy must make, must, must make a mint just from the books he sells. Here's the thing you might not know about Billy Graham. Billy Graham signed away all the royalties for his books. Anything that is made from a book that Billy Graham wrote goes to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association uses it to bring the gospel through the world, and Billy Graham gets paid a modest salary from the association. And he signed away all those royalties. Why? Because it wasn't about Billy Graham becoming rich. It was about giving his gift of evangelism to the world and reaching people for Christ. It was about Jesus. Jim Symbol are the same thing. Some of you may have read some of his books, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I love Jim Symbol's writing. You, you, maybe you've been to the Brooklyn Tabernacle in, in New York. If you haven't, take, take the trip. It's worth it. It's an incredible place. Go to a Tuesday night prayer meeting there. But if you've been there, you look at this beautiful building. 
And, and it's the way a building should be. And it looks like a beautiful theater. And New Yorkers can walk in and, and say, yeah, this, this looks like a place where, you know, they feel comfortable to hear the gospel. And it's incredible. But Jim Simbola, before he sold his books, he signed away the royalties to the Brooklyn Tabernacle so that they could build that church. They still had to trust God. It wasn't enough, but this book became a bestseller. But it wasn't to get Jim Simbola rich. It was so that the mission of God in New York City could go forward to reach people for Jesus Christ. See, if we make the end goal our desire to be rich, we're going to miss. We're going to miss God's best. We're going to miss God's plan. And we're going to be in danger of becoming lovers of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, last one I'll give you from this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Most of us have a little more than food and clothing. I'm guessing that whatever you wore to church today isn't the only outfit in your closet. Many of us have been blessed. Paul says, look, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. See, this is where I say it's for the supply of your needs and for the blessing of others. If you don't believe you've been blessed for others, I promise you there will be a day in your life that you will believe it, and it will be the last day of your life on this earth because that day, the reality will hit, it all goes to someone else. No matter how much you made, no matter what you accumulated, no matter what's in your bank account, no matter what is in your name, it all goes to someone else. We are blessed so that God will provide for the provision of our needs and to be a blessing to others. So we can decide before that how we want to be a blessing to others. So I encourage you, to, be, to examine your own heart, to make sure that you are not a lover of money. And so the question sometimes becomes, well, where do I start? What are you asking, Pastor? Get specific. You know, what are, what are you talking about? Uh, and so, you know, it's no, we, we talk about it in, in church, not just on this Sunday, but on lots of Sundays. We talk about giving. We talk about being generous. You know, and so there's three things I've, I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again that we ask, you know, we encourage people to give to. We give, it's the, Lord, you know, the Lord's tithe. Give to missions for the gospel goes around the world and give to vision. And those three things are the three things you'll usually hear us, you know, asking if we're asking you to give. Those will be it. Well, the first one's not really us asking. It's really God's tithe. It's not us. I try and be careful with my language when I receive the offering and call it the Lord's tithe because it's not your tithe and it's not my tithe. The way Bible talks about it, that's God's money. That's, that's God's money. And if I, if I try and take it from him, I'm taking God's money. That's, I'm, just, I'm just telling you right what the Bible says, right? And you look at the tithe, and you say, what's tithe? tithe the literal translation is a tenth. And so that's why we talk about tithing, because it talks about it in Scripture. And we say, well, you give the Lord the tithe. And that's all that is is simple, right? If God gives you $10, you just say, okay, God, Give me 10. You've been such a blessing. You've been so good to me. You've been so great. I just want to, at the beginning of this gift, let you know that you are on the throne. Let you know I recognize it all comes from you. Let you know that I worship you. Let you know that I am not a lover of money. So a small way of doing that is saying, God, 10% is yours. And if he gives you $10, you put a dollar in. Now, the reality is a dollar 
it's not that hard, right? I mean, unless you're my eight-year-old son or, my, you know, I mean, a dollar's huge, right, at that age, right? But even then, it's like, I can't do much with a dollar. Even the dollar store, I don't think you can buy much for a dollar anymore. But you put, yeah, God, thank you. You gave me $9 to, 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 to use and to provide for my needs and to be a blessing to others. Put that dollar out, tithe, Lord. Then God gives you $10. Then God gives you $100. $10, God, no... Lord, $90 to provide for my needs and to be a blessing to others. You're so good to me. Let me just tie that $10. No problem, God. I can barely buy a couple of coffees at Starbucks with that. But God, it's yours. And God gives you $1,000. $100. Now, you can buy some stuff with $100. You can, there's some stuff. There's probably a few things that come to your mind for that you can buy for $100. And you say, but God, no, 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 no. It's your $900 you've given me. That's a, that'll provide for my needs. That'll be a blessing. Lord, $100 is yours. But then God gives you a job that pays you $100,000 a year. And you say, 10000 doing the math in your head. Did I do that right? Zero to $10,000. Now, now that's a side. God, do you really need 10000 that's a lot of money. That's a new car. That's a down payment on a house. That's a, that's, a, that's a year of education for maybe, well, no, that's like a month of education. But it depends what school you go to. But used to be a year of education, I'm told. But that 10000 you can do a lot with $10,000. But it reminds me of the story of the businessman who went to his pastor and asked him to pray for him. He said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me to help me to, with this tithing thing. He said, when I was, when long, years ago when I was making, you know, $10,000 a year, that's all I was making, I, I would tithe. I was so faithful that I'd tithe every week and I'd give, you know, I'd make sure I'd give God, you know, $1,000. I'd give him, make sure he got everything, all the tithe, it's the Lord's and all that. But, but you got to see, Pastor, now I got this job, it's paying me $500,000 a year and I'm having a hard time writing that $50,000 check and writing all that. And pastor said, no problem, I'll pray for you. The pastor said, Lord, would you give my friend back his $10,000 a year job so he can tithe and give money to you? Because it's not about money. It's about your heart. It's not about money. It's about your heart. And when God gives us more, does our heart say, I want to keep more for me? Or God, I am so grateful for everything you've given to me. And the tithe is just a way to say, God, it's yours. The tithe is my way of saying, God, I believe you can do more with a blessed 90% than I can do with an unblessed 100%. That's all it is. And so maybe the tithe is the place you start. If God has blessed you much and you can tithe and still have your needs well beyond provided for, then my challenge to you is where is God asking you to be generous and to be willing to share with others? Because, it is, because here's, here's the world we live in. We live in a world that has a lot of inequities to it, Right? And we could say 10%. Oh, it's a proportion. It's the same, you know, 10%. You know, if I'm making a million, 10%, 100,000 is a lot of money. Yeah, but 900,000 is a lot to live on in this world. 
And you got to ask yourself what God is calling you to do with that amount of money. Because it's well beyond your needs. And when God has provided well beyond your needs, the question becomes, what am I supposed to do with the rest according to God? To recognize that it's all His. That it's all His. So as we reset for 2014, I just want to challenge you and I just want to ask you to examine your own heart. Make sure that you're not a lover of money. And to do that, don't choose what you do based on will it make you rich. And to do that, recognize that everything comes from God for your provision, but to be a blessing to others. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your grace and your goodness, Lord. Father, and as we talk about this topic of money, that's such a personal one, Lord. I recognize that in this room, there are all kinds of people at very different places when it comes to money. Not just different incomes and accounts. But, Lord, there are people here who may be wondering, Lord, is their job going to be safe through the next year? Maybe they're between jobs. Maybe they're looking for the job. Maybe they're wondering, what are they going to do when the unemployment checks run out? Is there something coming along? Is there something down the road? Lord, there's people in here that are wondering if the child support check's going to come this week or this month. Wondering if we're going to be able to make ends meet, pay the bills. Is there going to be more month left at the end of the paycheck? And Lord, there's also people in here that have been given much and Lord, are trying to decide, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? How can I be a blessing to others and glorify you? Lord, wherever we are when it comes to money, let our hearts be fully yours. Wherever our checkbook and our income and our debt level or whatever it might be is, Lord, let there be no question about where our heart is. Lord, let there be no question about where our heart is. Let it be yours 100% and fully. Lord, as we enter 2014, we want to make a commitment that nothing would be master of us except you. And Lord, the truth is, in this world, it's so easy for money to become a master. It's so easy for that to become the reason we make the decisions we do, the reason we take the jobs we do, the reason we do the work we do, the reason we give time or take time away from people we love. Lord, let us be mastered by nothing but Christ. Let us be mastered by nothing but love for you. And whatever it takes, Lord, help us to be the type of people who put our hope in you, who do good deeds, and Father, finally, who are generous and willing to share with those around us. Make us that kind of people. Make us that kind of church. Lord, let us bring glory to you so that on that day when we come home to you, we didn't leave anything on the table. We gave what we could. We loved how we could. Lord, we didn't act selfishly. We acted wisely but generously towards the world around us, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.